0: Welcome to a very special episode of the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is the first ever episode to have a video version. So I hope you're enjoying this. Uh, You get to see our lovely faces. As you may already know, this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. And there are no bigger games in the world of Nintendo in 2023 than The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. That game has been out for just about two months at this point but when it first came out, we were very, very cautious to kind of dance around spoilers because this is a game that everybody should experience as fresh and unspoiled as possible. However, it has been out for a while now, and I kind of set a line in the sand here where I said we would do a full spoiler episode about the game when we had four people on staff who finished it. And that's exactly what we have today. Joining me for this episode are three Game Informer editors who have seen the story through to the end, we have Game Informer editor in chief Matt Miller. Matt, how are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Ready to ruin this game
0: for some people.
1: <laughs> yeah, is that what we're doing? That's what we're doing, right?
0: I mean, hey, we—it is a spoiler cast through and through. Uh, we also have Game Informer magazine content director Kyle Hilliard. Kyle, what's going on today?
2: Hey, how's it going, man? I was looking up my—I I believe I finished this game on May third. I think is when I
0: finished it. So I've really been sitting mm. on this for a while.
2: You haven't seen time. for a while.
0: <laughs> you really wanted to get that out of the way before May the 4th so you could focus on Star Wars Jedi.
2: Right, a game
0: that I have not returned to, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, we have Game Informer Associate Editor Charles Hart. Charles, how are you doing? Hello,
3: I'm doing good. I am I'm feeling like Link with some yellow temporary hearts. Which is yellow <laughs> which is to say better than good, I think. Or or just that I ate a good mushroom.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay well, well that's that's a good way to start a recording. Yeah, that's
3: that's the some... vibe today. Actually, oh wait, I just realized that sounds weird, but you know what? <laughs> we know what you
0: <laughs> It's a hearty mushroom. We know what you meant. It's a hardy, it's a hearty truffle. And again, I cannot emphasize this enough. This is your one and only warning. We are gonna be spoiling pretty much every aspect of the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I'm talking stories, missions, gameplay. Everything is on the table for this episode. So if you are not ready to experience the full spoiler discussion of this game, this is your chance to pause this episode and come back when you're ready. Uh, So fair warning, give you a couple more seconds to kind of reach for your podcast uh, stop button or pause button. But we are going to jump right in, Uh, I guess, first up. How many hours have you guys put into this game?
2: Ooh, I think I'm at 180. 170? But you
0: also Kyle, you have also uh, we'll set the table here. You have yeah. gotten every shrine.
2: Yes, every shrine. I haven't done every side quest. I I I hit the I got every shrine and I was like, "All right, I'm going to take a break. Maybe I'll come back and do those side quests later." But yes, I've gotten every shrine in the game. Yeah.
0: Wow. That that takes a lot of patience, and that that is reflected in your hundred and eighty hour playthrough. Yeah, no, it's I (laughs) love it. I
2: miss it dearly. I I like, I'm already kind of like, is it time to go back already? Like I I miss it. You, I mean, you had you you had a uh, a piece
1: you wrote at one point when you were still looking for the last few shrines. (laughs) How did you find them?
2: Well, I can tell you actually. Let let's we'll, let's go into the spoilers now. So I I did hit a point where I was just combing the landscape looking for shrines yeah. and had my shrine tracker on. And then it is it is the one quote unquote thing that got like spoiled for me is someone pointed out that all the underground plants uh point 2 shrines above ground, which I didn't realize. So I had I had filled out the underground entirely. And I was short like two mm. or three shines. And then I just basically had to go back and forth between the underground and overground map to f- find where they connected. Uh, it, it was truly the one thing that like I was told to me by accident, like I read it in a comment. But otherwise, I truly did not look anything up. Um, that's just how I like to play those games. I, I I was so grateful, honestly, to have reviewed it and played it early because I I I couldn't even have the temptation of looking anything up. And I really loved that.
0: Yeah, you would literally have to have emailed Nintendo and be like, "Hey, I can't figure this out. Can you tell me how to do it?" Yeah, and like, so you'd really have to make a concerted effort to do it if you needed some help, but you didn't yeah. do that. And it- as as an aside, by the way, that is a that's a unique thing about the way
1: that we sometimes play games, right? That like, I, as a general rule, I don't like to look stuff up on the internet, but my my line in the sand over the years has become, uh, if I'm not having fun anymore. Right, like if I've crossed the threshold from like, oh, well, this is a really interesting puzzle, I can't figure it out, Um, and it's taking a little longer, but that's okay, I'll just keep rolling on it. But then you cross that threshold where it's like, I'm just not enjoying this game at this point, and sometimes I'll, you know, I'll look something up, and that is not an option when you're playing a game before launch, right? Like, you can think of it, I would think most people have at least from time to time. Feel like, ah, you know, I'll pull my phone out quick and figure out what are, what's the first step to this thing. Yeah, no
2: shame in that, like, by the way. Out. This is very much a self-like so thing. Like, I just, when it comes to Zelda in particular, yeah. I don't, I, yeah. and it led, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, but it led to truly one of my favorite Zelda moments, period, for, like, me personally. Um uh, It's sure. not necessarily like, oh, this cool cutscene happened. The way I approached the end of the game was really bizarre, and I I love the way it ended up turning out for me, which we can get into it uh, a little bit later.
0: Yeah, We're going to go through a little bit of the story as well, but uh, before we get to that, Charles, how long has your playthrough been?
3: Yeah, so I I think right now it's probably at like 120. I, I definitely hit a point where I could beat the game, though, at 80 hours, and I was like, I felt weird. I was like, I'm not ready to end it. And that's not a thing I usually have of like... I feel like in the past few years, as it's like playing video games has been like a professional thing for me. I've been like, I just got to finish this so I can like talk about it. And there's so many other things I got to do. And this is one where I was like, well, I, I got one piece of this armor set underground that would be pretty cool to finish the game in. (laughs) I was basically like shopping for like my wedding tux of like, this is going to be the big day. This is the set I'm going to wear. Um, And then i finally got it and i was like oh man it's gonna take a lot of amber to upgrade this but i did kind of want to just wander around this area Mm -hmm. for a while and i just wasted i mean wasted i spent 40 hours not really doing any particular thing but got this stuff upgraded to the point where i was ready to finish it and yeah
2: what what was the armor what was the the wedding it was the it was the ocarina
3: of time armor Ah, um because i got i got the pants and i think i think i did end up looking up where those were because I spent enough time underground just kind of messing around. And I was like, this is going to take forever. This is the whole map of the game. Um, I will say this that and during that was when I realized the, the Shrine Connection thing because I didn't have that spoiled for me. And I think it's one one example of the ways this game made me feel like the smartest person in the whole world of like when you get a puzzle right of like oh actually i'm an engineering genius i knew to put this wheel on this plank and it worked out so great um which is incredibly hard to do so consistently like making me feel smart because you designed something so well it's wild
2: yeah i mean that's exactly some people call this game like oh that that actually works like that's what they should have called it yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah well that that
1: yeah it's like it has that fascinating quality where they they've tricked you into playing an engineering game right like it's a it's like oh it's a fantasy action adventure no it's not it's an engineering game basically i mean most of the the thing that you're going to spend the most time on um is is sort of like trying to solve those those things where they've made it seem like something's broken and that oh yeah that that you can't do that anymore you can't uh that mind track doesn't work anymore. See, look, there's a break in the mind track. You can't mm-hmm. go there. And then you're like, uh, hold on, you know, hold my beer. <laughs> I will, I will do that, right? Um, and I, it's it's really honestly, it's the thing that I think made me like Tears of the Kingdom a lot better than Breath of the Wild. That that single thing. Mm-hmm. Um, not talking bad about Breath of the Wild at all, but I I like Tears of the Kingdom a lot more because of that creative uh component in that sense that i'm always um i'm always sort of uh breaking the game but of course i'm not breaking it right i'm 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 doing it the way they have designed it to to be done which is to to uh come up with an interesting way to get past something and with that in mind matt how long was your playthrough you know i don't i don't know i wasn't really paying attention i'm guessing somewhere in the vicinity of I mean, just on the number of days I spent on it, uh, probably uh, around 100 hours. I would bet that I didn't uh, um, uh, hit up quite the number of things that that some other folks did. But, uh, but I had a lot of hearts by the end, and I did a lot of shrines. Um, so I think it was probably somewhere in that vicinity.
0: Okay, Something. so I actually... I think I have the least amount of hours logged in this game. I'm somewhere between 75 and 80. Mm. Shameful. I know. <laughs> how? Th- <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a. Do huge you even have game. a full row of hearts, Brian? How are you? Surviving? I do. I do have a full row of hearts. Um, I've I've started creeping into that second row, mm. but yeah, I, I actually did focus a lot on the stamina meter because I wanted to. That was a lesson that I learned very early on in Breath of the Wild. Was like, oh, I should definitely be upgrading my stamina meter above all else. Even though I'm typically a kind of guy who's gonna like, if I'm getting like a skill tree and it's like there's one that's gonna give me like more health, that's typically one that I'll I'll go to very very early on. But this time I was like, nope. I I learned my lesson. I'm gonna be climbing all the time in this game. I'm just gonna invest like my first several uh, orbs or or whatever they're called into. Uh, What spirit orbs that's what they're called yeah into uh, into stamina vessels
3: i think it was spirit orbs in the last game but that's not important
1: my my stamina limiter wasn't climbing it was gliding oh Um, yeah that was the thing for me i i I mean i'd be curious what you all's go-to approach to getting around was um because i know again there's a lot of creative ways to navigate this game world For me, it was very much like I got real familiar with the different um, sky view towers Mm -hmm. and and then just getting to a place where I could. okay, I'm going to I'm going to pop. I'm going to fast travel to this sky view tower, go way up in the air and then fly as close to this thing, glide as close as I can to this thing that I need to like drop down onto. Um, I know a lot of people did more like I'm going to build vehicles that I fly around on. That that was a way, and I guess there's people who are like, I'm a horse guy. I just like to ride my horse around, and you can't trust. Okay, but that would, I, I, you know, the one thing about the horse thing is that, like, I think I would, I like the horse riding, but I think I, the constant need to like go back to a stable and pull my horse back out makes it, I don't know, kind of an irrelevant, um, form of transportation for me. I I felt that way even
2: about Breath in the Wild after a certain point. But uh, yeah. yeah, for me the big thing was like upgrading batteries, and then I would just take a platform, a, mm-hmm. a hot air balloon, and a and a flame jet, and mm-hmm. that would that gets you really high up in the air. Um, uh, like that was a, I use that a lot underground. And, but mm-hmm. yeah, but you do need to upgrade your your batteries a bit to make that yeah. really
0: worthwhile. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that segs perfectly into our discussion about Ultra Hand, which. I mean, there's there's the three core abilities that are in this game. There's Ultra Hand, there's Recall, and there's Fuse, and all of them. Are, there's also Ascend, the the four core abilities there. Um, but it I, I, Ascend really changes the way that you explore this world. But nothing is more impactful than Ultra Hand. Just being able to build stuff and augment things together, and just I mean, even with like the uh, the village that was under siege. And then they're like, hey, we need some help, like rebuilding this stuff. Like we need all these logs from these trees. I was like, I'm not going to carry all these logs. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, let me just fuse like 12 logs together or ultra hand 12 logs together and then carry it as one mass down to them. And that's what I ended up doing. And they're like, oh, great. This is all the, the wood that we need. <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, it really transforms the way that you do almost everything in this game. Yeah,
1: there's. I think you know, Nintendo likes having an interesting gimmick in in new installments of long running franchises. You know, you get some, think about something like uh, the Mario games, right? Like Super Mario Odyssey, you've got your hat, right? Or Super Mario uh, Sunshine, you've got your uh, you're gonna blow water everywhere, right? And and I think of those as like unique gimmicks to those spaces. And I think you could kind of say Ultra Hand is like that in Tears of the Kingdom, except the difference is. I don't know that you can ever make a Zelda game again without Ultra Hand at this point. Right. It's so it so fundamentally changes the way that you understand the 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 game and your approach to it. um, That it it, it, in a single game becomes it, it feels foundational now to the series. Almost. I'll be really I mean, obviously, there'll be new Zelda games in the future. But it would be very strange to me to like play one of those games and not have something like that, right? Uh, Maybe they don't call it Ultra Hand, but um, I don't think it's a gimmick like Mario's Cappy Buddy, right?
0: That you could just like, oh, we're moving on past Cappy, right? Yeah, Um, I mean, well, I've made that point about several games on the Switch where it's like, How are they going to do a new version without X, like Super Smash Brothers? How are they going to do another Smash Brothers game without so many characters? How are they going to do another Mario Kart game without every course ever at this point with all the DLC that they've released? But you're right. This feels like a foundational gameplay thing that I don't know how people would play a Zelda game without Ultra Hand or something similar and not be like, something's missing from this Mm -hmm. game. I I don't know. Like what what was your experience with Ultrahand, Charles, in terms of like kind of feeling out the mechanics and really testing the limits of what you could do with it?
3: Yeah, I, I think I think in Kyle's review or his video review that I Edited, I think he or something he's expressed a few times is like early on, you're kind of like intimidated by Ultrahand of like, it's kind of scary to be able to just do all this stuff. Am I gonna be good at it? I definitely had some of that where I was like. Look, I like Legos as much as the next guy. I don't want to play a Lego game. I want to play a Zelda game. Um and I it quickly changed my mind. Or I, I don't I wouldn't say quickly changed my mind. It slowly changed my mind. Once I left the first island in the sky, I was not like ultra handing everything all the time like I thought it would be. Like it wasn't such a it wasn't always that there was a puzzle and then a specific ultra hand solution. But I think it was like once I started getting a lot of the like zonai orbs just in my inventory and being like oh i can just make a plane i don't have to deal with this (laughs) i don't have to climb mountains anymore like that's not a thing i have to worry about um and yeah i i I think i i do think they could make a new zelda game without ultra hand I, i think i would slightly push back on that point just because i i think that is so I believe in the in the Zelda series to be able to move on past it in that way like I don't know if I would say that about every series but um I do think it is it is the reason to play this game.
0: Mm. It doesn't feel as foundational as something like Z-Targeting, which was introduced in Ocarina of Time and then used in pretty much every subsequent 3D action game. But it does feel like something that is going to be a thing that people always look back at Tears of the Kingdom and be like, oh, that was the, the main contribution to this series, was the introduction of Ultra Hand.
3: Yeah, and and uh, I was I was going to mention this earlier of like, I don't know if any of you guys have seen like speedrun footage of this game or parts of this game, um, but Breath of the Wild was all about like physics glitches and how like you can jump in the air and drop one bomb and then drop another bomb and then explode the back bomb to hit you with the front bomb that would launch you across the map really fast. And this one is all like... It's not it, there, a lot of those glitches got taken out. There's also a thing of like, if you equip a weapon right before you land, you don't take fall damage. But now the button that would be the weapon equipping is <laughs> nose diving into the ground. So you can't do that anymore. But people have figured out like, if you do like a rocket on a shield, and then you shield surf for like a split second, it launches you up and forward and doesn't use that much durability. And so there's people that are like doing shrines in like, Four seconds if you have the right like shields and Zonai devices equipped, um, and that's that's so fun to watch. I'm excited to see like three years from now what this is even going to look like anymore.
1: Yeah, it's a game that um, definitely invites people in. Like I had friends who are certainly not super hardcore gamers anymore. Like guys who maybe played in college and don't play a lot anymore. Um, who were sending me videos of, like, Tears of the Kingdom stuff. Like, what is going on here that this, you know, like, this, th- it looks like they're making a mech to go take on this dragon over here. Is that what's happening? And I'm like, yep. That's pretty much what's <laughs> happening. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and so it it had this phenomenon and continues to have this phenomenon of being a game that is really fun to play, but it's also really fun to see somebody who's done something interesting play the game and watch them which is you know uh very much in keeping with the times and the way people are engaging
0: with games right now well that's why it's such a game of the moment as well yeah. Is like it's like they marketed it perfect or to perfection because they they knew that like you know this game is gonna be a really well-loved game it's it's they, they knew they made an amazing game but on top of that it's so shareable on social media that they knew that like they would be like the the heavy sense of FOMO where people would see people creating these incredible devices and incredible structures and incredible vehicles on social media and just basically seeing how they can break this system. And they'd be like, oh, that looks like a lot of fun. I want to do that too. And then they'd go buy the game. I'm really excited to see like how the sales have progressed because normally when a game comes out, especially a very highly anticipated game like Tears of the Kingdom, we'll see a, a sharp spike in sales on that first week, week and a half. And then you'll see it start to taper off. But I think that this is a game that's going to have a lot of legs just because of the the fact that it's so it's such a, a social media game. Yeah.
2: as I mean, as of this morning, at the time of this recording, it is the second best-selling game of 2023, which is mm-hmm. crazy considering it is a single-platform game. The one ahead of it is Hogwarts Legacy, which is... A multi-platform game, and I'm I'm sure like Resident Evil is up
0: there too. But uh, yeah, no, it's 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 doing gangbusters, expectedly. Yeah, so we talked about Ultra Hand kind of just fundamentally changing the Zelda formula, but with this game being so focused on exploration, I think Ascend was the one that took me the longest to be like, I'd be like looking up at the at the ceiling, I'd be like. How am I gonna get up there? I need to figure out a way to like get to the top of this thing. And then like after thinking about it for like five seconds, I'm like, oh yeah, I have a send. Let me just do that instead of trying to like figure out the the climbing puzzle that I was so used to and conditioned to with Breath of the Wild. So were there any examples, Matt, that you had where it was just like this kind of broke the game in any kind of way?
1: I don't know that ascend broke the game for me. It broke my head in the same way that you're describing. It was the, e- or, or to put it another way, it was the easiest, easiest, uh, capability to forget for me. Um, and uh, I would, I would be surprised if there's too many serious players of this game that didn't have like some, some moments that were just you were embarrassed for yourself with how much time you sat there trying to do exactly what brian is describing where you're like uh there's no way for me to get up there it's like i mean it's like 30 feet up there i can't climb these walls i mean do they want me to go to some mountain nearby no there's no mountain can't jump off the mountain glide down i don't even know what to do and you i just sit there and stare (laughs) <laughs> and completely forget about this. And I don't know why it was that way. Maybe because Ultra Hand, I mean, I didn't have that happen with Ultra Hand, you know, like when there was a clear like they've laid out a bunch of pieces for me to build something. I would definitely be like, oh yeah, okay, I get what you you're wanting me to build a minecart here, right? Or you want me to build a helicopter, or you want me to whatever. Like um that's uh, that was that didn't happen with Ascend for yeah. some reason. I mean, late in the game.
2: I think it's just it's it's so simple. And yeah. it, it works so consistently and it feels like game breaking. Like you, every time, like you, I would have those instances where I was like, Oh, right. Ascend. Like, I would also have that moment of like, I can't believe it was truly that easy, you know, yeah. because like so often, and it, maybe it's like the breath of the wild in the back of your head. It's like, if you go underground or something, which, you know, you didn't do a lot in breath of the wild really, but it was like getting back out was like a whole puzzle in itself. And it's like ascend just sort of deletes that part of the process, and it's like that's why you kind of forget about it because you're just like, oh, surely it's not that easy. But it's like, no, no, it is. just punch your way yeah. through the ceiling. It's fine. I,
3: I think it's it's also like so contrary to what Breath of the Wild was, which is like, hey, Breath of the Wild, you can climb anything. Now it's you have ascend, you don't have to climb everything. Like it yeah. it immediately flipped. I, I think I think it's that way that you you look at a tall structure and the Breath of the Wild in you is like immediately how do i climb that where are the spots where i can climb up and then like regain my stamina meter and then you realize like oh it's close enough to the ground that like i can just go under it i also
1: thought ascend was uh if i was link with is the power that i've had as link that would make me the most uncomfortable (laughs) you know what i mean Like, like that that's uh maybe it's just like some weird uh element of claustrophobia hiding away in my mind but it it like genuinely made me kind of uncomfortable at times where you're like man this is a really long ascend you know like I'm, I'm in the ground going
0: through the ground yeah. and, and the sound yeah like, right
3: squelchy yeah,
0: yeah it is it squelchy like yeah i really hope this ability does not break down on me and i'm just entombed in this mountain yeah. now yeah, it's, yeah. They,
2: they could it's nice thank you nintendo for not connecting it to stamina in some way you oh, know? Like, oh man that would have been really bad like trying to climb because there's a couple of instances where you can go from the depths to the surface yeah. and it it's a long climb and it's like yeah i mean they i guess they could have connected
0: it to stamina but it just would have felt silly i think it just would have been needlessly difficult And then the third ability that we want to talk about is Fuse, which I think they did actually, in contrast to Ascend, they did a very good job of encouraging you to use Fuse at every turn because most of the weapons that you find, especially early on, are uh, affected by the gloom. So it's like they're kind of like decayed, and therefore they don't have very high attack power, and they break very easily. So it's like, yeah, if you want this to do any kind of damage or last for any amount of time... Fuse it to something, and that was something that after like the first few hours, I was like, "Oh yeah, just fuse every weapon to everything that you can, uh, especially like Bokoblin horns and and lasalfo horns and things like that." Like, what was your experience, uh, Charles, with with fuse?
3: Yeah, I I definitely. I remember the realization of like, man, I'm not doing that much damage. And then realizing like, Oh, I should just be fusing everything. Like I, you, there's not an incentive to have an unfused weapon in your inventory nine times out of 10. And I, I also really appreciate that. Like the monster horn designs were all like little, like blades of weapons. Like it was a trident or a, a sword or a spear or something like that I think that also kind of you see you know a blue Lizalfo's horn and I'm like that looks like a katana and now I'm gonna put it on my sword and that's the way it's supposed to be <laughs> but yeah I enjoyed it I, I think it was cool
2: yeah, the, the one mistake that I made for a large portion of the game was I was almost exclusively fusing weapons to other weapons Like a Mm. sword to a sword that I found on the ground just because it's like, oh, I can pick up more weapons and it does make it stronger. But really the thing that you want to do is fuse it to like Bokoblin Horns. And like you said, Charles, like that actually increases the power significantly more than having a sword attached to a sword.
3: Um, For me, it's also like, I I, that's definitely true numerically. For me, it was like an aesthetic thing of like, man, I don't want to have a... I don't want to have a stick sword. That looks so ugly. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah, I think I was Um, like one of the early cutscenes in the game where... I I don't remember where it was. It was like when you land on the ground, there was some big cutscene and I was like, ah... I have just like a super long staff that's like clipping into the ground, like during yeah. this cutscene. I, I or it, what? I remember what it was. It was a shield that had a flamethrower on it. So I had this big backpack on Link's back, and I was like, "Man, that looks stupid." <laughs>
0: that's always the problem, right? When you when you have a cutscene and your character looks like just garbage. I think yeah. I had that at the the finale of Breath of the Wild, where I was just like, "Oh man, this would be so much cooler if Link didn't look like a a big goof." <laughs> No,
2: yeah, I made sure, like Charles, I I had my like I I just like the blue tunic and the um mm-hmm. and the pants, like the the sort of standard pants that I had upgraded r- really high, and I was like, well, I'm gonna make sure I, I'm wearing this to fight Ganondorf for sure. So yeah, the the
1: fuse the fuse thing like goes counter to my instincts, my like gaming hoarder instincts, and I had to get past that a little bit. Um, I think I I chart that back to like some early Final Fantasy games where I would like run out of potions before you know and i got near to the end of the game it didn't have enough and i couldn't go back and get any and that kind of thing so these days it it, it's still like ingrained in me to like oh you got this this uh consumable thing better not use it because you might need that really good consumable that you can attach to your weapon later it took I, i would say it was like halfway through the game until i got really comfortable being like I got a cool I, I killed this monster I got a cool horn from him it says it's going to massively upgrade my weapon I'm going to just put it on a weapon Yeah um I mean I I get I, enough that you don't need to worry about
2: that I understand the frustration people have with the breakable items and weapons like I I don't think that is a f- like a f- a bad complaint if you don't like that mechanic i understand why that would bring down the sort of overall enjoyment of the game for you but for me the way that it makes me use everything i really appreciate like in the way like i'm really struggling with like diablo 4 as a comparison right now i am not getting into that game at all and it's because everything just feels like crap that i'm just like carrying around with me or not using or getting rid of immediately where like breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom has this sort of same like there is an approach to like having loot and using loot but everything feels valuable and usable and the and the sort of the 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 con in that column is like that means stuff will break if you use it but the pro is like yeah but you use everything and you experiment with everything and i actually much prefer that than just having a big cache of crap you know that i just like immediately sell or never even look at
3: yeah, it's, it's also the way that, like, I they've really separated the numbers from the, like, weapon abilities, because you'll have, like, I can't remember specifically, but something like all the Royal Guard weapons, they'll have, like, charge attack up, or all of these weapons you can throw really far, all these weapons or whatever. Um, and for the, for the most part, like, your swords, the base sword is going to be anywhere from, like, you know, 8 damage to 12 damage. And the real boost is going to be that like Lionel horn or whatever that adds the 50. Yeah. So if you're like, I really like having like stamina attack up, you can get those kinds of weapons and it doesn't have to be, I would love to do this, but the number's not high enough because you are controlling that on your end.
0: And that brings us to what I think was the ability that I use the least, but has probably the biggest impact on the story. And that is recall. Mm. And I don't know, like I, whenever I remembered to use it, I felt like I made a really good impact with it, but I felt like it was the least necessary of all of Link's new abilities. And I don't know if I'm alone in thinking that, but like, I just like, there were times where like, you know, I, I talked about this in my preview that I did for Tears of the Kingdom before it came out, where like um, Moblin would throw a thing at me and I would recall it right back to him and explode right in front of him, right? Like it would, it would kill him that way. Or, you know, there's obviously times where I would combine it with, um, with Ultra Hand and make it so that I could, like, have something rewind at just the right time so I could go in under a door or something like that. But uh, were there any uh, instances, Matt, where you were like, this, this recall ability is just, like, essential for me to, to have the Tears of the Kingdom experience?
1: I don't think so. I agree with your assessment not only that it's the least used, but it, it also feels to me like um and I was surprised about this by the way. Um I I went into the game thinking like oh may, they must use this in a bunch of different places, but it it was the one that I felt like I only used when the designer was telling me to use it if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Right? Like there were shrines where it was like oh clearly I need to do recall here right and so i did and that solved it um but it, it had a little bit less of that like kind of um uh, making me twist my head in a new uh, to think about things from a new perspective which is of course what makes ultra hand especially cool um ascend maybe to a lesser extent and fuse to a lesser extent but there there's that like creative quality to those um and recall maybe I just didn't ever get around to using it in the way that it, it could be used, but it never really clicked in that way as anything other than like, oh, this is just a tool I need to use when the game shows me I have
2: to use it. And it, it was it's it was like it's a puzzle the... item. It feels almost like yeah. more of like an old school Zelda item yep. in that way. It's like I use this to solve puzzles and it's fun in that way. I found a lot of use in it later of like really getting into the far away sky islands and stuff where you have to like have good batteries and vehicles where like stuff would fall out of the sky and I would use a recall to get it back to me, like delivering the big green gems to shrines and stuff. Like if my thing was falling out of the sky early, I would recall it back to me. Or like if a Korok rolled away from me, I would use it to get it back for me. It was like more of like a perfunctory kind of like tool Rather than, like like you said, Matt, like something that you would use creatively. I only use it creatively every now and then.
0: And, and I, It's interesting because this is the ability that I feel like got the most marketing from Nintendo. Yeah. Like the statue that we see of Link, his Amiibo, it's all in the, the, the stance of using recall. And it, it seems like Nintendo is putting a huge emphasis on it. And, you know, we're going to get into the story in just a second. But like that... Probably is the reason is that it was so integral to the way the story played out. But Charles, what were you going to say?
3: I was going to say I did. I liked it for convenience sake, and I did. I do. I do feel like I used it a lot just in terms of like I would drop something, or I think there's a lot of ways you can manipulate it too. Of like when you combine it with ultra hand, of like I don't have a ramp to launch my wing off of, but if you like ultra hand and hold it in the air for a few seconds. Then you can recall it and then it's floating in the air. You don't have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also I mentioned I had the Ocarina of Time armor that I wanted to upgrade, which uses a lot of amber. So I spent a lot of time fighting taluses and you can throw their arms back at them. So I did use it an absurd number of times for that. But um I don't know. I do I do understand I uh, understand the points you're saying, but I do feel like I used it. Specifically with Ultran. Also in the depths, there's all the mountains turn into like big valleys which are fun to get to the bottom of but annoying to get back out of and i would always drop stuff um and recall has has like a basically unlimited range like if you can see it you can bring it back to you which i appreciated um but yeah
1: It, it it it's a you know like on a on a sort of meta level around thinking about zelda um the an understanding of time uh and and uh playing with ideas of time are uh it's it's very core to the the identity of the franchise at this point right uh i mean even back to a link to the past right ocarina of time uh, you know majora's mask is a—is uh, all about a, a time loop right there i think it's fair to say that almost every um zelda game plays around with that with with time in some way and tries to say something there and and you know like you said brian we're going to talk about story here and certainly time time is a fundamental aspect of of the storytelling here but any negative or not negative but anything that like made recall not quite as interesting um almost doesn't matter because for the way that the the power adds to that sense that like we're we're alerting the player to be paying attention to time and the passage of time and the way things can kind of kind of go in both directions and both the, both the past and the future are important. And those just sort of ideas um, are grounded in gameplay through the recall
0: ability. For sure. And let's get into story. Starts off with a bang. Uh, what a cutscene that is! Basically, let's just set the premise. Like you know, it, Hyrule's been kind of through this rebuilding phase after the events of Breath of the Wild and uh, you know the defeat of Calamity Ganon. But at certain points, it seems like the people, the residents of Hyrule, are starting to get sick, and they trace it back to this substance that has been leaking out of the underground called Gloom. By and the way, a, have- a
2: very popular video game thing lately is just darkness creeping in like I I think it's in destiny right Matt isn't it maybe I like uh, a a wayfinder a game that's coming up has a creeping mist that everyone has to (laughs) fight. it's it's very popular I don't know why
0: it is um and so Link and Zelda they they uncover a kind of like a hidden entrance a previously hidden entrance to the underground area and they go down there and they're finding all these like zonai artifacts and this is a, a playable cutscene essentially where you're descending into the, the underground area with Zelda. You've got the full two rows of hearts, which as Kyle has pointed out, you can't even attain in Breath of the Wild. And or then uh, the know, kingdom, spoiler alert. <laughs> your well, <laughs> your stamina is maxed out as well. You have the Master Sword. And you know, Zelda's just kind of talking about like, oh in my studies, like you know uh, these these must be what the zonai look like when they find some some of the statues that are under there. And then they find the mural on the wall, and there's a couple pan or three panels, I believe, that are blocked off by some debris that had fallen. That
3: those panels, it's it's like the breakable rocks. And the agony I I felt seeing it in the cutscene and then walking past it and being like, I don't have my bombs. I don't know why I don't have my bombs. It's <laughs> like that's like as as much as time is core to the Zelda series, bombable walls are
0: also. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. But yeah, so basically the mural depicts the the scenes of the imprisoning war, which people who are versed in the Zelda timeline know is like kind of a war that Hyrule was waging against Ganondorf and, and the sages were waging against Ganondorf, uh, previously depicted in other games, but this time we're kind of getting a different take on it. And it uh, ultimately was kind of like how Ganondorf was sealed away and then we kind of continue on, and Link's Master Sword starts glowing. Which, if you played Breath oh, of the Wild, point. you know, uh oh, <laughs> something bad is about to happen, and usually it means the presence of Ganon or a Ganon-like uh, creature, like one of the uh, the bosses in the the Divine Beast Dungeons that we had in Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they come across this giant open area, and we see the corpse of, uh, or a dehydrated body of Ganondorf. And man, when he comes alive, that is just a uh, a chilling cutscene. And I, I love how they depict him and introduce him into this world. Yeah, Anybody he's scary. Want to jump in there? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> it is it is one of the the
1: scarier things that's been in a zelda game right uh part of that is the the voice acting's kind of terrifying right um part of it's the presentation of this figure that is you know that looks like a dead person and they're you know coming alive and causing problems and um but yeah agreed it's it's an awesome uh it's an awesome scene and it uh uh serves as a really great foundation to like launch things off right um Mm -hmm. and get you get you going into the game relatively quickly give you a good gives it a good grounding to like um you know it's it's a challenge anytime you have a franchise like this where it's like okay we're gonna have a sequel but we got to have the main character start over right like that's always the choice Mm -hmm. right do i do we start over or do we do something more like uh well like for instance the recent uh, Jedi Survivor game, right? Like, you don't start over in that game, right? And they, they make choices with how you're continuing to upgrade your character around, uh, you know, you pretty much have the stuff you had at the end of the last game. Um, and so if you're going to go the way where you, you're you kind of doing a reset, you got to come up with a narrative reason for it. And so
2: this one's as good as any, I think. I, by the way, I love, and it, Zelda's certainly not the first to do this, but I feel like it doesn't happen enough. I adore how when like, it's clear that you're being, you know, Metroided, you're being like mm-hmm. reset. Uh, the UI displays your hearts going yeah. away. Cause like mm. as a player, that is my main interaction with like how my health is represented in the game. So like, use that UI like in the cutscene like I feel like I don't see that enough you know what I mean like I would like lo- I like it's It's rare I feel like I feel like it happens in Metal Gear Solid maybe a couple times like if a character gets like punched in a cutscene like their health bar should like go down and it should show me because like I said that is my sort of interaction with the how a character feels pain in the game so like that little touch in the beginning was, was really charming to me I really love that uh, well, and they team... play with they play with health meters more again at the end of the game in a way that I thought was really hilarious and surprising but also intimidating and cool
1: yeah and it's pain it's you know it also has that like painful quality right especially if you were somebody who spent a lot of time in breath of the wild like getting those hearts it's like oh hitting you where it hurts
0: and like it it establishes it establishes very early on that like hey gloom is something that's going to uh kind of physically incapacitate you And that's ultimately what it does. When you encounter it in the game, it takes away your hearts. It doesn't just, like, hurt you like Malice did in Breath of the Wild. It actually takes away hearts until you're exposed to sunlight again. I will say, though, by
2: by the end of the game, when I had, like, almost, like, a full row and then, like, a three-quarters row of hearts... I was just w- walking through gloom. It was fine. It like really, truly didn't matter after a certain point. I was just like, I'm not even going to build anything to travel over this. I'll just walk right through. I'll be all right.
1: I'm <laughs> I'm I'm curious. Maybe, you know, I don't know that I encountered it, but maybe it was it was like side quests or things like that that I've never right, ran into. But do you have a sense of like how explicit they are about the connection between Ganondorf in this game and, you know the stuff in Breath of the Wild, Calamity Ganon, and, like, all that kind of thing? So, Is it meant to be... I mean, I read it, certainly read it. I interpreted it as, like, you know, uh, all that stuff in Breath of the Wild was almost, like, just the uh, the evil of Ganondorf exuding that out into the world and mm-hmm. almost was, like, a hint
0: of where we were going to be going. But I don't yeah. know. Is that... Yeah, so? Calamity Ganon from what my understanding was essentially like the essence of Ganondorf's hatred from beneath Hyrule Castle mm-hmm. and every several thousand years that essence escapes and causes a calamity and the one that ended up creating the events and actually overthrowing the kingdom of Hyrule was the great calamity that was depicted in Breath of the Wild and all the other times like you know when they had the divine beasts and the guardians they were able to stop one of the calamities and then Ganon was like, oh, well, I've learned my lesson. I'm going to actually like infect those and turn them against the people of Hyrule. And that's what ended up sealing Hyrule's fate prior to the events of Breath of the Wild. So that was kind of the way it was um, kind of manifesting out of Ganondorf. And if you... There's actually a, uh, a, a tablet that you can find in Hyrule Castle that says Hyrule Castle was built exactly where it was because that is where Ganondorf was buried and they wanted to put something there so that people would never stumble upon them or it would be really hard to stumble upon him either by accident or in the search of finding him and resurrecting him so you know that that is kind of like the the reason that it was built there and not somewhere maybe like the great plateau where you would expect like a a kingdom to be, to be based. Right. Yeah.
2: I mean, look hindsight's 2020, but when we want to get rid of nuclear reactors, we don't build them under like major, (laughs) you know, inhabited castles. We kind of put them out in the middle of nowhere where people can (laughs) interact them. But you know, I'm, I'm not a a city builder for Hyrule. So what do I know? But uh, by the way, that
0: would be a very fun genre. I've always talked about like other genres that the Zelda series could go like a Hyrule building sim game would be very fun. (laughs) Like mm-hmm. I've talked about like roguelike games where like you you control Ganon trying to overthrow Hyrule Castle and every time you die, you are reborn in a different art style and you're reborn and there's a different link that you have to try to beat and like you just keep going until you win and like every time you learn like a different strategy you could take out. I've talked about that. Like I've talked about other t- uh, genres of the Zelda franchise, but yeah, Hyrule buildings or yeah, building sim would be, very fun. Now that you mention it.
2: Oh, I should introduce you to a little game called uh, Tears of the Kingdom, Brian, where you can build whatever <laughs> you want with Ultra Hand. <laughs>
0: So in that moment, when Ganondorf just covers Link with gloom, we get three major events. One, it removes his hearts and his stamina; it makes him kind of back to the base version of this character that we saw in the beginning of Breath of the Wild.
2: And and clothes for some inexplicable reason I, that raru <laughs> never explains why he had to take Link's shirt and pants. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. What about?
0: <laughs> well, we had to keep this game rated E10 plus, right?
2: Yeah, so let him keep his clothes. <laughs> uh, that's the that's what added the 10 plus. That's the way to
0: do it. <laughs> yeah. Um but also I think the real reason that Rauru had to like change his clothes is Link's arm was just destroyed in this and he right. had to have his arm replaced completely. So that probably involves some sort of surgical procedure or magic incantation of s-
2: like yeah, doctors using his your arm pants yeah. when they do surgery on your arm. Yeah. <laughs> they I mean, were covered fair. in gloom. Kai. It probably yeah. was covered in gloom. I actually yeah. will genuinely you, accept that as a as a. You, you got to <laughs> launder those those gloom clothes. They didn't have right? a
3: chemical shower down there. <laughs>
0: it's, it's not revealed, but they're actually at the dry cleaners, and you can get them back later. Okay. <laughs> you got to go to the high dry cleaners <laughs> over yeah. in Hateno Village. You and gotta... you can, yeah, you can't just throw those in the washing machine. Gotcha. Right? Like, you got <laughs> <light> to uh, light
2: <laughs> two torches and you
0: got to uncover a chest yeah right and then finally it also destroys the master sword which is a very very big moment um we see that the master sword even in a destroyed state as the shard flies at ganondorf it does cut his cheek and it, it, it you see the blood boiling which means like you know, it does even in a destroyed state have the power to destroy evil it just you know if it was only like Two inches to the left, maybe it would have been a little bit more successful in doing it in this early, early state. But like, you know, that moment when Ganondorf feels it cut across his cheek, and he's just like, he has kind of his Thanos in Infinity War moment, where he's like, all that for a drop of blood. He was like, is that the blade that repels evil? And it's like, oh, such a puny weapon could never stand a chance against my might and you're like oh god this this guy is is kind of horrific yeah.
2: just give me 70 to 100 hours and we'll we'll meet again <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll see in a little bit yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah that that moment really stuck out to me as like this is kind of the proper way to introduce ganondorf and show that he is a threat when he immediately destroys the weapon that the goddess hylia forged to defeat him and he's just like oh yeah I'm I may be a dehydrated mess, and I haven't been able to stand upright for thousands upon thousands of years. But I can easily just basically throw out this stuff that comes out of me. I don't know how we describe it, <laughs> but it, it immediately destroys Link's arm. The hero who was is, uh, is destined to defeat Ganondorf destroys the weapon that was forged by a goddess to defeat him, and it you know sets all this in motion. And then Ganondorf. Raises Hyrule Castle out of the ground, and basically starts spreading the gloom and his influence of, of over the creatures that his minions uh, across the land of Hyrule, and then also destroys the tomb that was <laughs> that was designed to in, to to seal him away, and it pulls Zelda basically towards the depths. But before Link tries to jump and 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 save her, she and, and by the way he fails in saving her. She teleports somewhere, we think. and uh, the the arm of Raru, as we come to find out, which was the arm that was sealing Ganondorf in place, saves Link, pulls him back up, and then we just kind of cut to the next part, right? And we see that Link has awakened in the Great Sky Island, and uh, we have to find these these memories or what we what we assume are memories, but they're actually glimpses into the past where we kind of really get the the namesake of the franchise the legend of zelda and we we learn about her history as she has traveled back tens of thousands of years back to what is the founding of hyrule essentially
2: yeah i i i think that first memory that you find that first tier that you find where you you pretty quickly you're like oh i see what's happening here like i thought that was a really good hook uh, into like explaining what's going on, where Zelda is, why you want to go pursue the rest of the tiers. Like I, I thought that was really interesting. And then like on a larger scale, I also appreciated that it was like sort of solved the problem of, of Breath of the Wild and frankly a lot of Zelda games where it's like, why is Link just like messing around? Like what you know, like why is he off buying property and like helping someone campaign for like a real mayor reelection in Hatena? Where it's like, well, Zelda's in trouble, but like, she's, she's not here, you know, at least you don't think she's there. She's in the past. And I I liked sort of, uh, sort of peeling back that onion of like, what is happening? Why is she there? Are we going to meet her again? Like, I I, I liked that sort of buildup.
1: Yeah. I, um, I I really dig the, um, the sort of epic quality it adds to the experience of having this sense of, uh, you know, this gradually unfolding story of, Of Zelda in the past, and you know, you really almost get you get more story in this game about Zelda than you do about like Link. I mean, Link Link certainly goes on adventures and meets some weird people who have him go on side quests and things like that, right? But there's not a lot of that that's especially memorable. Whereas, like, I think if you, especially for people who took the time, and I think probably most people do, to track down all those different tiers. Those are the big story beats are Mm -hmm. the ones that happen, you know, a long, long, long time ago. Um, And the idea that, um, uh, you know, it's it's feeding into this, like the thing that you need to bring down this great evil. um, That is uh, that's literally Zelda pouring her her heart into it. Uh, over over thousands of years effectively right um is a is a really um powerful and and exciting idea um and and a way to uh emphasize the importance of her as a um involved party in in sort of winning the day at the end um so i don't know i i i really like like that whole that whole loop i did find myself wondering to circle back to the whole thing about um uh, Ganondorf and the space underneath the castle like what's Ganondorf doing all this time I mean if you think about it you kind of just find him where you initially found him right does he do anything in the interim other than just kind of hanging out down in a cave
3: I think it's... he's just leaking
2: <laughs> well, no,
3: he... <laughs> I think he's just hurting and leaking his,
2: his calamity everywhere he's like being Zelda He's like tricking people out in the yeah. Is that,
1: I mean, is that truly him though, or is it like a like a a vision of of Zelda? I was never totally clear it, on that point.
2: It's probably like a Last Jedi situation, right? Yeah,
1: that's how I read it. Is that yeah. like he's like uh, sending that? It's like a spell that yeah. he's sending mm-hmm. out into the world or something.
0: Yeah, it's um, almost like a gloom like clone, a doppelganger manifested by gloom because. We see Zelda pop up several places and uh, not the least of which is in one of these flashbacks where you know we see Sonya having a private meeting with Zelda and then the moment Sonya turns her back, zelda this Zelda that we think is the real Zelda turns out to be the doppelganger and tries to assassinate her and then the real Zelda saves her using the recall ability. However, as soon as Sonya turns back around it's like, oh, I knew you weren't the real Zelda... Ganondorf strikes from the shadows, so it wasn't actually the real. It wasn't actually Ganondorf in that role, right? So the mm-hmm. way that I picked up, yeah, it was a projection. So the way that I kind of thought of like what Ganondorf is doing is he's just using all this time to kind of regain his strength after being sealed away for tens of thousands of years. And you know, when we finally do get to the face-off, it you've seen that he has regained his strength. Yeah, it I, feels
1: to me like you should maybe just put some bombs at the top of his cavern and uh set him off and problem solved
3: <laughs> <laughs> Just put the pieces of the master sword in like a frag grenade yeah and then it'll kind of spread out um, i was going to ask uh just in terms of the order of stuff you guys did because if you do the tears of the dragon you can figure out zelda's story and what happened to her and then separately from that, after you do the temples and then go to Hyrule Castle, there's kind of like the face off of, oh, this wasn't Zelda. Was that the reveal for you, or did you see the memories first? Uh memories
2: first for me. Yeah. Memories first. Th- those were pretty beeline for me. Like mm-hmm. once I understood that these were like story things, because I like Zelda story. I want to know what's going on. So like I did the uh the towers and the tiers. And I think I maybe even did I might have done all of them before even finishing all the dungeons. I think I
0: don't quite. I did as well.
2: Operations, but I had
0: done all of the the towers first, and then if I saw like a a glyph on the, a hillside or something, I would go do that while I was there, and then I did all the tiers, and then I was like, oh, I should probably go do the first dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! But yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I I think the the folks I've talked to about the game definitely like it feels like the the chasing down the tiers becomes a a very early priority um it's, it's a good a, reward it's a potent, for doing them yeah it is and it's, it's a it's a potent case for me when when like you know i've sometimes had conversations with people over the years about like why are we why do games always try to force these story stuff down my throat like why do i care and and i i think the fact that like so many people in a in a game where the story is handled thoughtfully and in an interesting way like like this is um prioritize that ahead of you know getting some awesome weapon or getting the uh more hearts or something like that i think is a is a is a potent argument for why like um storytelling can be a reward in its own right right Mm -hmm. um and and that there is very good reason to invest in that and make sure that it's done in a way that's surprising and um compelling in this case you know i think one of the most uh intricate and challenging things that the designers managed to do with tears of the kingdom is create these layers of like you're going through the dungeons you're going through the master sword quest you're going through the tears storyline to find out what happened to zelda in the past um and a few other slightly more minor things and you can kind of hit them in any order and it always works Right, mm. um, and that like the the rest of the system sort of adapt and understand that like um, that's what's going on, and and characters sort of respond in kind in ways that um, make sense for where you are in that that process. I find that really really interesting. Um, even the fact that like the story itself of the finding these tiers, there's not really an order that you find them in. You don't go from like you know one two three four five. You're finding the almost like pages of a book that you're pulling together, mm-hmm. um, and and researching this this moment in the past, um, and and it doesn't matter what order you find them in; it ends up being cool because you're piecing it together like a
0: puzzle. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to go over real quick some of the the major beats of this kind of historical look at the founding of Hyrule in the era that was kind of like the rise of Ganondorf. So basically, you know, he's he's the the Gerudo, the lone Gerudo male that exists at this point in time. And he's just kind of like a a warrior that is extremely skilled and also a powerful sorcerer. And I think I may have your answer for what gloom even is. And that is when he gets the secret stone, which is first revealed to him as kind of Hyrule's power, It's like, well, how they're so powerful. Is he sends this invading force of Maldugas, which are like those giant sandworms towards the the kingdom of Hyrule and Rauru, Sonya and Zelda combine their power to shoot like this light beam at them and just basically wreck these very powerful beasts. And that's when Gandalf was kind of like, Oh, I need to get me one of those secret stones. (laughs) So he goes and like, you know, Rauru's ability is amplified by light. It turns out that it doesn't really give you power. It just amplifies power that you already have. So, you know, it amplifies Zelda and Sonya's ability to manipulate time and it gives uh, it amplifies Raru's command of light, so he's able to blast these powerful light beams because of the secret stone. But the power of light was always in him; it was just kind of like amplified by these stones. So when Ganondorf does kill Sonia, as we discussed, um, and like betrays the uh, betrays Rauru and Sonia, he takes the stone and it rewrites it basically as like his stone, which basically is like an amplification of darkness. And that is the first time that we see him use Gloom in this storyline is he blasts it at, Ra- at Raru, Yeah, when he when Rauru appears before him and Rauru uses the light to kind of repel it, which also works in the gameplay, right? Because light is the only thing that can really destroy the, the effects of Gloom. So when Ganondorf uses Gloom, that's probably his secret stone ability, right? It, it, he can just as Rauru can blast forward a, a, a giant blast of, of light, Ganondorf can blast a, a giant beam of darkness. So that's essentially my read on what Gloom is: is it's his secret stone ability?
2: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: So uh, yeah, after that, uh, you know, Hyrule is basically on its last legs and. Zelda and and Rauru basically decide to gather the leaders of the various uh, groups that are around Hyrule. So you have the Gorons, the the Rito, the the Zora, and various other leaders. Gerudo, and the <laughs> yeah, like, Gerudos maybe... are like,
2: oh, sorry, yeah, well, yeah. Well, well, well <laughs> apparently Ganondorf. Yeah, well,
0: apparently Ganondorf killed or tried to kill all the Gerudo that did not join his cause. Mm. And so basically they gather the leaders from all these different groups around Hyrule and Rauru gives them all secret stones. And in addition to his sister Minoru, who is the only other Zonai remaining that we that we know of, and they try to mount a final offensive against Ganondorf and basically Ganondorf disposes of them pretty easily. And then is uh, like, all right, well, last ditch effort. We have to seal this guy. So Raru sacrifices himself to seal Ganondorf away with his hand. And that is ultimately what brings us forward to um, kind of Ganondorf's state that we find him in the beginning of Tears of the Kingdom. So, yeah, a lot to cover there. and But ultimately, what happens is Link. In the present time, takes the Master Sword, which has been destroyed by Ganondorf's gloom, and sends it back in time through this this pedestal. And essentially, it seems like it's maybe like an extremely powerful version of Recall, where he's sending it back in time, and it arrives to Zelda. And Zelda's like, the only way that we can fix this is by restoring the power of the Master Sword, which... Can be done through bathing it in sacred light. That's how it was healed from the the, the damage that was done to it in the Great Calamity. They just, they put it in the, the the Hyrule Forest with the Deku Tree and it bathed in that sacred light for a hundred years. It's in a much worse state this time, so it needs to go back even further to kind of bathe in sacred light. And Zelda is like, "Well, how do I get it to Link?" And do uh, we want to talk about the other stuff that we just talked that I just covered before we go to what Zelda's course of action was to to. No, let's, the, let's get to the, time. the
2: big, I don't know, quote-unquote twist, right? This is yeah. the
3: wildest thing. I haven't talked to anyone about this yet. I The the cutscene
0: where her eyes change is so wild. I love it. It really is. But so, essentially, uh, in a conversation with Mineru, or Mineru, I forget how you pronounce it exactly, but uh, Raru's sister, she mentions of a forbidden practice called draconification, which is basically you swallow your secret stone and you can it you lose yourself and become an eternal dragon and that is what Zelda does she's like hey well i've got to just like basically bring the master sword to link in real time and so she does that she swallows the secret stone transforms into the dragon of light and the master sword is embedded in her skull. She loses who she is, her 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 mind, her body, her soul, all transformed into this eternal dragon that is just gonna fly around Hyrule for tens of thousands of years. Wow. Yeah. What a what a plot twist there. It was cool. I,
2: I finished the game and I, I was watching my wife play and there's that really already iconic moment like right at the beginning where you do your first skydive and you're falling uh, on sky islands and the logo appears and everything and Zelda is flying there in the background and I was like god that is so smart because it's like when you're as a new player you're like oh cool yeah the dragons are back oh this looks so cool but then like watching over my wife's shoulder I was like oh wow that's like that they knew what they were doing there (laughs) they're like of course they're gonna put her
0: there you know When your wife was playing that moment, did you say, oh, that's Zelda? Oh,
2: God, no. (laughs) I was going to ruin that for
3: her. And She's like, yeah, that's the game I'm playing. Yeah, the logo (laughs) says Zelda
2: right there.
1: Do you all think there's meant to be an implication that the other dragons uh, are also, uh, like, kind of came out of that process?
2: That's Yeah, that's interesting. That hadn't really occurred to me because they are also in Breath of the Wild. And Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that they couldn't have been. But I think they, they have where their...
1: dragons come from in this. Would world? that mean would
3: there are more secret stones?
0: That's my question. Yeah. I think so. Exactly. I think absolutely there were because, you know, Raru had several of the secret stones, but who's to say he had all of them? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's like also would... the,
3: they're like the three goddesses. I don't think it's the exact names, but their yeah, names are similar of... to the three goddesses from like Ocarina of Time. So I don't know if that was like how they ascended to godliness was becoming the dragon but i don't know
0: yeah it's entirely possible i mean there's so many theories out there about like how this all fits in with the continuity of the rest of the timeline like some people swear that this breaks the timeline other people say no it's, it's not retconning anything it's more just like kind of just like playing off the themes that these are legends that have somewhat been lost to history so there's going to be some inconsistent telling of these tales And so, like, the Imprisoning War, maybe it's the same Imprisoning War that we've seen in other games. Maybe it's a completely different Imprisoning War. Maybe these are different Ganondorfs that have appeared over the entire long history of Hyrule, and they've both been imprisoned, or they've all been imprisoned in different ways. Like, you know, we've seen... Kyle and I did a very long episode about the Zelda timeline leading up to Tears of the Kingdom. You can find that on the podcast feed of All Things Nintendo, if you want to learn more about that. But yeah, there's several different versions of Ganondorf that pop up over the course of the the Zelda timeline, as well as different Ganons. So who's to say these are all the same version of Ganondorf? Uh, who's to say it's the same retelling of the same imprisoning war? It could just be different wars happening that have the same name because Hyrule's been around for a long time, it turns out. And a lot of these stories may just be lost to legend. Like it, you saw in the school, when you go to the school, they there's like kids even though it's only been a few years since the great that since like calamity ganon was defeated they're like the great calamity was just like a, a a fairy tale right and you have to go and show them a picture of like oh no it was a real thing that happened
2: yeah that's funny that they that you have to convince the class uh i i want to share quickly my bizarre trajectory i'll try to do this as quickly as possible because i got all the tears I learned about Zelda. I understood that like, her, she had the Master Sword in some way, right? Uh, or something. Like, it's, it's related to this sort of revelation. And so wh- where I was at in the game at that point is I'd beaten the four dungeons, and I went to the castle... And met, you know, the Zelda projection. And I, I did the fight in the in the apex of the castle where you fight the 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 Ganons. And I didn't finish it. I, I think I died. I, I had gotten it down to, like, half health or something. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I think I'm supposed to have the Master Sword for this. So I'm going to go explore for a while and try to find the Master Sword. I could not find Zelda Dragon. For whatever reason, the dragon's kind of, like, it's not random. But I didn't know the cadence where they, like, showed up. I, I just never, I didn't see her again for whatever reason. And I was like, I don't think the Master Sword is going to be in the Lost Woods again. Uh, that would just be too obvious, you know, after Breath of the Wild. And then in the uh, sort of southern or, yeah, southern region in the sky, there's a very cloudy, stormy area. And um, now you, you, there is a quest where you can go along and you can actually remove the storms from that location. And it makes it much more navigable. But, like, I didn't do that. And I went to that area... And um, made my way through it with the storm raging. And it it was actually pretty cool and exciting and difficult to get through it with limited visibility and electricity like sparking all the time. But I got through there. And that's when I found like the owl mask, which sends you on the path to do the fifth dungeon. And I was like, as I was doing it, I was like, this does not feel like I'm heading towards the master sword. I don't know what I found here. And... It was I was like halfway through the dungeon. I was like I at partially built the robot when I looked at the map and realized I was in a fifth dungeon. Like I didn't even, I didn't even realize what was happening, and uh, I loved that. And that's just something I that wouldn't have happened to me if I had like looked anything up or like had a walkthrough or anything like that. Is like in my sort of fight to find the master sword, I stumbled across the game's like surprise fifth dungeon. And it was just su- such an awesome way to do that. And then, and then after that, I figured out how to get in the lo- into the Lost Woods. You go underneath, and then you come above. And then I talked to the Deku tree, and he actually marked Zelda on my map. Like, that's one way to do it. He, like, you can come yeah. across her naturally, but he will mark her. And then I went and got the Master Sword. And then I went and defeated the Ganons in the castle. And then the cutscene after that, they were like, surprise, there's a fifth sage, and there's a fifth. <laughs> dungeon and it, it was it was great i loved it because the cutscene is like they're talking and they're talking and then you know link does that thing where he talks but it's just like animation there's you know there's it's an implication that he's saying things and everyone was like oh you already found it that's incredible like we didn't even know it existed you already found it and i was like oh i love that that's the path that i took i i it it just like it cemented my like love of like don't look things up because then you might stumble across these like crazy secrets out of order. And uh, I just adored that that's the way I ended up finding out. I I, I love that. That was my trajectory of playing it. So yeah, I, let's, let's
0: go I ahead, wanted to
3: ask. Yeah, Kyle, I wanted to ask you specifically of. So you had Mineru when you went to do the like Phantom Zelda fight. Yeah. Was was she in any cutscenes or did it just like omit her and then she was in the battle with you?
2: Uh, the the or Phantom not... and fight. I don't. There's not really a lot of cutscenes, so I don't think she was there. But I could be wrong th- about that. That's I think
3: there's question. one like when you show up and then the actual stages come to help you. But I guess if you had already started it, maybe that didn't happen a second time.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once you go underground, she's there in all the cutscenes and everything. Right. uh, Yeah. Remember, I mean, to me, it was like, oh, this is this is this is a weird way to do it, but I guess this is how you're supposed to do it. So yeah, it was it was weird. And I also wanted to ask, had you been to Hyrule Castle before that, or was that your first visit there? I had been there before. I went there pretty early because I found the blue tunic, uh, by accident. Uh, mm. by just like you know you see torches in a zelda game like those suckers <laughs> up and i found the tunic and then it was funny because i when I, I visited zelda's house later you go find her diary and she's like oh i i've you know i've i've remade link's tunic he's going to be so excited when i give it to him it's in the castle he's got to light these two torches and again just like you know earlier when everyone was surprised that i'd already found the fifth sage i was like i'm wearing it zelda i didn't need this <laughs> diary entry <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah. let's let's talk a little bit about Link's journey here. Um, you know, I think a lot of the the story is hidden behind all the the Zelda stuff that we already covered. But you know, Link's basic journey is you know he's going to these four, uh, these four villages. So you have Rito Village, Goron City, Gerudo Town, and Zora's Domain. And you're basically helping these people who are dealing with the various effects of the gloom that is escaping. So what is it? The um the sandstorm in the Gerudo Desert that has uh, the Gibdo invading. You have um the the poisoned water in Zora's domain. You have the giant storm that's raging over top of uh, over top Rito Village, which is causing a huge cold uh, front on on in in the village and everybody's really freezing, and then you have um, what's what's the last one? Goron City having the kind of the stones that are like mind altering drugs essentially? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it, it was interesting. I loved seeing how all of the different people and races were affected by these the the gloom that that Ganondorf was was sending out into the world, and uh, some of them were even like, "Oh, the, yeah, we saw Zelda. She was telling us to do this," and it's it's so interesting that we get that that back from it, but also. You know, we get the return of dungeons, and these dungeons do play into the final battle as well. So, um, did you guys all have a favorite dungeon?
1: Mm. Go, ahead to Matt least, first. I had a least favorite dungeon.
0: Yeah, I know you did. What, what was that one?
1: The uh, what's it even called? It's the one that's underground. The fire dungeon. The, the fire uh, dungeon. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I found that one to. It was only, one of the only places in the game that I was like, I don't like this. I'm not having fun with this. Um, the other dungeons I thought were stellar, um, and most other navigable spaces in the in the game world I was really impressed by, but I found myself really like, um, maybe I was just approaching it wrong, but there was something that felt really like slow and stilted about the Fire Dungeon.
2: Um, Is it like being on the tracks and like having to get on the tracks?
1: I think it was partially that and like always needing to like, okay, well, now I don't have my minecart anymore, so I got to go back and find a different minecart and um you know they they it's designed in such a way that there's lots of spaces where you need to get up high but you can't use ascend like we were talking about earlier in the conversation and so you're just like okay well i guess i just gotta climb this thing the outside of this structure yeah to get up to this spot and and you know especially after having the freedom of doing things in a way where you're not having to climb that way i it it felt um i don't know not fun Hmm. um but uh i uh, I really on on the other hand, I think my favorite um I really liked all the stuff down in um Gerudo town. I liked the um the uh, especially for some reason. I found the like the going out into the sandstorm and creating the the kind of like uh, the pyramid of light connection mm-hmm. thing. I thought that was really uh, fun and creative and <sighs> I was stuck on that for so long. It was like <laughs> it was definitely one of those things where it's like it doesn't hold your hand too much, mm. right? And you just got to kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'm going out here, and well, now it's pointing off in this direction. I guess I'll run off into the sand this way, <laughs> um, and like that. That whole sequence was cool, and then the idea of uh, you know once you actually get into the um, the dungeon itself, that kind of the verticality of that one was really interesting to me and creating. I mean the light beam puzzles are a um I don't know kind of a video game staple in many ways and it's that also means that they can be very tired and and very sort of uh, boring if they're not done well and the ones in that section of the game are done really well like they mm-hmm. they were fun and interesting and not stuff that I felt like I'd seen a billion times before in other games so uh,
0: so yeah that was my take What about you Kyle do you have a favorite dungeon
2: Um, I, so the Minoru one that we're talking about, where you're building the robot, it's not that I really loved that dungeon necessarily, but it had one puzzle that was, it was pretty simple that just, I really loved where you have a few fans and you have a hook and you're trying to get the hook to like Mm. stay on the, the, the rack, or I guess you're, I guess you're carrying the, like one of the body parts down. And, uh, I just loved the, my, the sort of experimentation I ended up doing with that, where I was like, I ended up putting a fan on top of the hook to kind of push it down so it wouldn't like fly off. I don't know if you guys solved it the same way, but it was a moment very late in the game where I was just like, God, Ultra Hand is so like interesting and diverse and like in the way you can approach puzzles and just even just solving that one puzzle where I tried a dozen things and eventually landed on like using the two fans in very specific ways. Like that was just like, It's just a reminder of everything I love about a good Zelda puzzle where it's just like, it's fun to experiment with it. It's fun to have the revelation that this is less complicated than I thought it was going to be. And it's fun to ultimately solve it, which is like, that's like the best kind of Zelda puzzle, you know, where you, you overthink it. Then it becomes, it's actually ultimately a simple solution and you feel a little dumb, but you're also really proud of yourself. Like, yeah. So that that happened uh, late in the game for me, which I really enjoyed.
0: God. So both the ones that you guys have brought up, uh, Matt on the negative side, the fire, um, the fire dungeon and Kyle with the the kind of the rebuilding of the robot for the fifth sage. I cheesed both of those. There was one part in particular where I, I could not figure out in the uh, well, I, in the fire dungeon. At Matt, I did the exact same thing you did where I was like, I don't know how to get up there. I don't feel like figuring out this railway system. I'm just going to climb up the structure and find like little ways that I can like rest and recover my stamina and then climb some more. But for the Fifth Sage, there was one part where there were like two narrow walls and I had to get it across this lava pit that was like in the middle and I was like I've tried everything, I have no idea. So I just used uh rockets. I had a bunch of rockets and I like just aimed them and it I I threaded the needle so perfect. I was so proud of myself, but then afterwards I was like how the hell did you actually? Were you supposed to solve that? Because I I tried it for probably a good thirty minutes, like different things that I thought I was supposed to do with like the wheels that they provided and everything, and it just I couldn't figure it out. So I just blasted it across with rockets.
2: Hey, that's the <laughs> I, solution, man.
0: Yep, exactly. There's definitely I I
1: would be really surprised if any given player doesn't have at least a couple spots in the game that you feel that way about where you're like I didn't ever really solve that, but I solved it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like it was clear that there was a more intentional way to approach this. And instead I, you know, I knew how to turn this into a plane. So I did that.
0: Well, <laughs> and A.G.L. Numa a. told me, A.G.L. Numa in my interview with him told me that that is by design. Like they're like, yeah, pe- we wanted to give people re- like a way to like, yeah, there's an intentional way, like a way that we designed it that you're supposed to solve it. But people love figuring out things on their own and we like, we want to give them the opportunity to do so if they want to yeah. figure out some way that we never thought of, then that's cool. Like, they like cheating. And like, we want to give them the ability to cheat these puzzles. Yeah.
3: What about yeah. you, Charles, I was gonna say just on the note of that, like, I would love to play a modded version of this game where you have infinite Zoni rockets and just see oh, how, how much I could cheese stuff and how fast I could get through things of like, yeah, <laughs> I, I just think it'd be fun. Um, <laughs> My favorite was also probably the the Gerudo one. I really liked how something about that one really felt like I was exploring a temple where things were being hidden from me rather than like this is a puzzle in a video game where I'm supposed to make my way through it like the way I would be like, oh, okay, I can see on the map there's something on this level. So I'm going to climb up here and then push this rock out of the way. Like I thought that was really fun. Um, the moment that stood out to me the most out of all of them, though, is the boss fight in the Rito dungeon. Yes, that was like the music there goes so hard. I love like good, a good flying section in a game where you're just like coasting through the air. Um, I also I I played the game and then I would watch my partner play the game and I was ahead of her because I just have more free time and watching her do things made me feel stronger about the things i liked and or disliked so like the the goron dungeon i i was similar to you guys and i was like i don't know maybe i'm just stupid like maybe i'm <laughs> missing something obvious and then she also struggled with it and i was like okay um but with kolgara i just did arrows on all those weak points because i was like yeah that's what you i don't know it's a, it's a boss you shoot him with your weapon and then she was like oh no i'm just gonna dive through all of these and it like didn't even occur to me know, and i, I loved I seeing that. that yeah if, if you when the dive shells, through it when the shells come off, because if you think about it, there's all the puzzles where there's the breakable ice that you can yeah. dive through, and then there's the bouncy thing. So that's like a whole thing of when his shells break off, you can just dive down through them. And I was like, that's so cool. That makes me like, I loved this, and now I like it more. Yeah. That was by far my
0: favorite boss fight for that very reason. Yeah, yeah. I,
2: I, 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 you, uh, I don't know how much you guys explored the underground, but you come across those bosses again underground mm-hmm. multiple times. Um, and colgera was one where every time I saw it in the distance, I think there's like two or three Kolgeras down there. I was like, oh, hell yeah, let's let's do it. Like I, that fight's <laughs> fun, but I never tried diving through. That's cool. I wish I had tried that.
0: So let's talk about the depths a little bit here. We've talked about the dungeons. Uh, by the way, my my favorite was probably also the Gerudo one, but I really liked the Rito one as well. Um, I actually really didn't like the Zora boss. I thought that boss was really annoying mm. to to fight with all like the kind of the yeah that whatever it was it was it wasn't gloom that it was spraying everywhere right it was, mud. It was, it was just <laughs> yeah. like mud. apparently uh alex what van, a
2: superpower alex van Aken built a like a vehicle to that's drive right, around and he had oh. like the the sort of hoses like off the side so he could just drive around and like
0: clean it up i was like oh that's <laughs> that's that's great. so smart that's, that's cool really it worked cool. it worked really well apparently um yeah the depths that is uh just i was not ready for that like I, we knew about the sky islands and i was already intimidated at the 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 prospect of exploring those and then i already knew hyrule was huge from my time playing breath of the wild when you go under the depths and th- you find out about them through like you know going to lookout landing for the first time after you come down off the great sky and they're like oh yeah we need you to go down and like explore the depths a little bit i think they want a picture of something right and so <laughs> and you're like, yeah, there's this chasm over here. You can go down there, and I'm like thinking it's just going to be like these little segmented caverns, and then you go down there, and it's just this long free fall, and you hear that single note play. It's so ominous when that note plays. The Inception trailer, right? Oh, the God. Bong,
2: right.
0: Yeah, man. the That hits every single time when you descend, and like you're like, oh, yeah, this is like not a happy place that you're going to, and then you realize this is not just like segmented caverns, like kind of like the sky islands are like, you know, you can go from one to the other. If you have like the right ultra hand abilities or like you launch yourself in the right way or whatever, but no, this is just one giant interconnected underground of Hyrule itself. And it's like, it almost makes the breath of the wild Hyrule feel small, which I never (laughs) thought I would be able to say, but the fact that you have Basically, a thing that's as large as Hyrule underneath Hyrule to explore, and uh, that blew me away when I first realized that. i, I was? Found,
1: I, I found myself just thinking about how geologically unstable Hyrule is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, uh, there's not a lot holding that thing up. But this, you know, once you once you explore the depths for a while, I mean, there's a few pillars, really. Well, but every, you know, everywhere like, there's
2: a river. That's like a that's a giant pillar, right? Yeah, is that better? Like if all if all
3: the columns in your building, if all the structural supports are full of water, yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Not really promising. Really,
1: whoever built this world was uh, not building building it to last. I feel like that could be the sequel. Is just uh, well, Hyrule's gone, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, just collapsed. Um, But yeah, it was. It's cool. It's a it's a cool sense of discovery, right? That you just the sense of scale there is exciting. Um, I don't know if I totally ever warmed to the like, it's always dark here thing. Mm. um, Personally, I I loved the sky Island stuff, right? I love being able to get up high. You're looking down the sense of like skydiving and the total ignorance of the idea of terminal velocity. When you smash into water, Um, like I love all that stuff. Uh, But the, like the, the stuff down way low uh, I was I was more ambivalent about it because I really liked that sense of of like it's this is a really big space and as you're exploring it more and you're you know you are turning the lights on literally um, you increasingly get that sense of the scale but it's also like um, because it's not you know it's not populated in the same way right like obviously there's monsters down there and stuff but it doesn't have those like um uh, those towns and things like that that you have up on the surface. There's a, there's a weird kind of empty quality to the depths as well uh, yeah, that made I, it maybe less fun for me to be in that space.
2: No, somehow. I I totally agree, Matt. And I I found every, you know, I forget what they're called, but the light, light routes. I found every light route. I explored it fully and I was kind of ultimately like underwhelmed because there's like, the stuff you're finding down there is like bosses you've already fought. Uh, enemies you don't feel like fighting. There's there's clothing down there, which is cool. Um, but it, it was just ultimately like, it was, it was fine. It was like, the scale of it was impressive, but like it was kind of like the last thing I did, right? It, like I really, Tears of the Kingdom is one of those games that comes along every now and then, they don't come along very often where it's like, I'm finding things I want to do because I don't want to stop playing because I love it mm-hmm. so much and exploring underground was like the last of those things i was like well i'm kind of out of stuff i really want to do so i'm going to go and explore around down there and there's like there's some fights you can do there's like some coliseum battles that have cool rewards like that's where you find stuff like majora's mask and that kind of thing um but it was yeah and because it is truly like a reflection of the above ground like one to one it's it it was it was just kinda like it was cool, but not not like the the sort of it was it was low on the list of things I like like about Tears of the Kingdom, it's, it's kinda
0: low. Sure. And let's talk let's transition to talking about kind of like the end game here, right? Like put in all this time, Kyle, you said it so perfectly in your breath of the wild review where it's like, by mm-hmm. the time I was approaching Hyrule castle, it felt like a lifetime's worth of preparation to like get to that moment. It felt yeah, like yeah. you had gone on this journey with link truly from like being physically incapacitated to like feeling like you're ready to take on Ganon. And in this case, Ganondorf and tears, of the kingdom replicates that feeling so well. And, so there's there's really three main things that you need to do to wrap up the story here, right? You have to go to Hyrule Castle and investigate the Zelda Doppelganger. You need to retrieve the Master Sword, and you need to descend into the depths below Hyrule Castle to face Ganondorf once and for all. And I did these completely out of order. I was trying to get the Master Sword without talking to the Deku Tree, and... I went. I was going to Hyrule Castle to figure out the, the Zelda doppelganger, and then I was like, "Oh, there's like a chasm underneath Hyrule Castle. I bet there's something cool down there. Let me go down there." And then I like the more I went deeper, I was like, "Oh, there's a lot of really strong enemies down here." And then eventually, it was like, "There's a battle about to happen with all the sages by my side." Uh, is this what's going on here? And then eventually, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay, this is the end game." Um, so so you I didn't actually, have the Master
2: Sword at that point?
0: I had the Master Sword. I did not go to Hyrule Castle. Oh, weird. Uh, did okay. you have
2: all four Sages?
0: I had all four Sages. Okay. but I So I did the battle without the Fifth Sage because I didn't know the Fifth Sage existed because I didn't go to Hyrule Castle. So the essentially what happens in that battle is like after you beat the waves of enemies, which is such a cool way to play that out, where it's, it literally feels like you're leading your army, Ganondorf sending his army at you, But once you beat the waves of enemies, they like all the bosses show up and the sage is like, I've got this. I know how to defeat this guy. But because I didn't have the fifth sage, I had to fight like the robot thing at Mm -hmm. the end of those waves. Uh, And I kept getting uh, killed by I kept getting killed by the robot. And then it, it reset me back to the start of the wave based battle. So I was like getting so frustrated, but I eventually beat. The, the robot after beating all of the enemies and then it gave me a checkpoint before the final battle against Ganondorf so I highly recommend if you're listening to this for some reason and haven't beaten the game make sure you go to Hyrule Castle before going underneath Hyrule Castle
2: yeah that that fight would it seems like it would be tough on foot because when you do it in the dungeon you have you know your mech or whatever But mm-hmm. uh, yeah no yeah. that's rough does it,
3: was it cover the difficult... floor in gloom too? Mm,
0: does he? I don't think so no Okay, then it would be um, like
3: borderline impossible. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That was a challenge. Um, but yeah. So, what sticks out to you guys with those three quests? Uh, getting uh, getting the master sword, going to Hyrule Castle, and then going beneath Hyrule Castle for the final battle. I, uh, if I can go first. Yeah, you. of course.
3: Um, the so my first thing I got, I got the master sword. After the second dungeon, I did Rito and then I did Goron. And one of of the things I most enjoyed about the game is I would just think, like, the Master Sword's got to be around here somewhere. Like, just feeling like I got to do stuff. The first thing I did was I wanted to go to Terrytown Because that was my favorite quest from Mm. the last game. And I wanted to be like, what is the town I built? How was it it doing? Um, But I did get the master sword. I liked that it it's like stamina rings instead of the hearts, which is I was I was stocking up on hearts of like once. I get there, I'm going to need all the hearts <laughs> and then I didn't. Um I think I found it before the fire temple and then I just needed more stamina and then I ended up getting it. Um Had you done all the tiers first or I don't think so. I think I Well, so I got there is a master sword shaped tier that is uh near uh Death Mountain. And that's where you see Zelda holding it. And she has a little flashback to the moment where Monero's is like, if you, eat, if you eat the stone, you're going to be a dragon and you shouldn't do that. And it doesn't say that she's doing it. But there are enough pieces there that I was like, oh, my God, is Zelda the dragon?
2: Yeah. Um, makes
3: sense, yeah. And then I went underneath Korok Forest. Uh, Kill the, the gloom hands we haven't talked about at all. Those oh, things God. are terrifying. And then after doing that, and then a Phantom Ganon shows up, I was like, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> um, I also I only had Tulin. It's it's a lot easier when you have more sages because they can take more of the hands. Sure. I only had Tulin and I was like, at least Tulin's got my back. And then they grabbed Tulin and I was oh, like, no. oh no. Um, anyways, fast forward through all that. I managed to barely win by um throwing springs on the ground jumping in the air and then just like shooting them with arrows while I was uh suspended um they're tough they are tough uh and then i got the master sword um what was part 2 was it just the sages
0: going to hyrule castle going to hyrule castle
3: so i did i did that pretty much normal in order <laughs> yeah, I, did, I did i did actually early, discover though,
0: yeah.
3: yeah and i had it i had it for like 2 of the 4 uh, or I guess three of the five oh, that's cool. boss fights um, I did go underneath Hyrule Castle also though because I I was like I'm pretty sure I know where the Master Sword is I gotta find that Hylian shield and then kept going and being like at the end of this road there's gonna be a great shield waiting for me <laughs> and then all the gloom Boca Blin spawn, and there's a big health bar and I immediately teleported out um, <laughs> but I did that stuff all pretty much in order Um and yeah, I think after 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 my early Master Sword, it's a pretty boring standard playthrough. I do. I, I did watch someone do a no weapons run where you he played the game, didn't use weapons the whole time, would only hurt people using like throwing items and like recall. And eventually there's like some other like uh, uh, sage abilities you can get that do damage but there's some some dungeons you can't beat because like you can't use arrows or whatever. So when they went down there and did that, um, it is cool to see that like just just like the first game, you have to fight all the
0: bosses you haven't fought in order to get to Ganondorf, which I think is really cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I, it's I, just a, such an incredible ending to this game, right? Like doing all these things to to square away the story and get like final preparations to face off against Ganondorf.
2: Yeah, I just want to touch quickly on like the, the because I was in a position where I knew what I was into, right? I had done all the dungeons. I had the Master Sword. I, I think they even say like, you got to go underground to finish the game. So like I I had no, I, it wasn't a mystery when I went down there, but I just love that sprint because that's kind of how I approached it. I was just like, I wasn't stopping to fight the the really powerful enemies on the way there, but I loved it just like going deeper and deeper and deeper. And deeper and deeper, and it was just like I love the way that felt, just going down there. And then, yeah, like you said, Brian, the the sort of the big conflict at the end with all the sages and everything was a, was a cool sort of uh, appetizer to taking on Ganondorf.
0: Do we want to talk about this Ganondorf battle before we wrap up? Like, just kind of how it how it goes. Uh, I know Matt's got to get out of here in a second, but uh Matt, how did you find this Ganondorf uh, confrontation?
1: Um. I thought it was really cool. Uh, I would say the 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 Ganondorf, like, sword fight, I had different feelings about than the thing that follows it. Um, uh, so to take the first part of that, I, I thought uh, that the Ganondorf fight was very cool, and it made me kind of wish that the game had more true, like, uh, Master Swordsman versus Master Swordsman sort of conflicts. Right, because yeah, there's some times that you you uh fight some other guys who have weapons, but it's mostly just like little minions, right? Um, and I uh I would have enjoyed I think having more of those fights where it's like there's another guy who's got powers and who's got an awesome weapon, and I've got to just face off against them. I thought that part was very cool. I did think it was maybe a little strange to so profoundly double down on like the need for one consumable um, in that fight. Right. Like I get that obviously you're fighting the guy that is the source of the gloom and all that kind of thing. But I, I did feel a little strange to me that like I'd, I'd done all this work to, to get different food items and things like that. But it was really only the ones that I'd infused sundalions into yeah. that had any relevance at all to that fight which felt a little strange to me. And I didn't love that about that, that combat, Um, but not a big deal. It was still a very cool fight. And then it leads into, I think, one of the coolest moments in the last several years of gaming. I mean, the whole, um, it's not hard per se. It's it's really more of a payoff moment, even though it's still in gameplay. But that whole, that whole sequence with the flying and the, uh, and the, the dragons and Zelda being there to help in her dragon form and all that kind of stuff uh, is just really fun and yeah. uh, and and brings you back, you know, it, it kind of brings things full circle to the early part of the game when you appear up in the sky and you've got to figure out about skydiving and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I, I love that whole sequence. And, you know, Brian, you and I have talked about this a little bit. One of the other things I really like about the way that the game wraps that section up is the way that it, uh, and this will seem like a weird thing, but like it ties together a little bit with what Kyle was talking about with UI supporting the way that you feel as a player. And in this case, it was the way that they delivered objective completions at the end of the game, I thought was really Mm. powerful and interesting because the concluding objective is not defeat Ganondorf the final thing that you get is that you saved is that you found and saved zelda yeah. um and so it drives home that like if you are link and you are on this journey like yeah yeah i gotta deal with the thing that's trying to destroy the world and kill ganondorf destroy the dragon all that kind of stuff but for link what it's really about is like saving and finding his princess yeah. Um, and for them reconnecting and that, the fact that it has the, you know, the one objective of you, you defeating, um, Ganondorf, and then it's followed up by, by that, that objective completion of, of, um, uh, reconnecting with Zelda, I, I thought was really, was really cool. Um, so, you know, as a, as a conclusion, I thought it really, uh, it worked really well. Um, it supports it also, by the way, I think supports really well, different interpretations of your understanding of the relationship between those two characters, right? They do a good job of keeping that open. Like, is this just a, a knight who is, uh, taking, you know, has sworn to protect this individual. And that's what he's all about. Is this, you know, is there a romance there? Are they just really close? That's left up to you to make that decision, right? Um, but any which way it it um, allows you to maintain that the fantasy that you have about that um, and have it work. So I thought was, I thought that whole that whole aspect that whole um, concluding section was really fun.
2: Yeah. I also uh, just on the UI topic, which I I talked about earlier, I love that in the Ganondorf sword fight, his health meter extends out like past. <laughs> <laughs> what way he thought it was supposed to. It was like it was funny, which I wasn't okay. expecting. I was like, what a weird joke to have like in the middle of this like major boss fight. It felt like a joke to me, and I say that as a compliment. But then it is also intimidating. It is also mm-hmm. scary because it's like, Oh my god, this guy has so much help. So I just, I love that weird little touch. It just puts the, it makes it so the health bar is like, it is centered, but then it like goes off center and it looks so stupid in the UI. I really love that bit. That was just, I was like, I was uh, doing that fight at like two o'clock in the morning and it just like slayed me. (laughs) I was like, this is so great. I love all this.
0: Yeah, what a terrific finale to just an unbelievable game. Uh, The last question I'm going to ask you guys, Nintendo said they kept the name secret. For such a long time, because it gave away too much about the game's story. Looking back now that we've all finished it, do you buy that exp- explanation for why they kept the name secret?
2: I, I, I think you're misquoting them a little bit. I think it's like more nuanced than that. It's like it's not that they was going to ruin the story. I think they were more saying like we just don't want to reveal anything about the story, and this is a a, a clue towards that. We want to keep everything a surprise. So I don't know if it's quite like. So black and white is that, but I I will say, like after finish after finishing the sort of memories quest, I did have that moment, which I'm sure everyone did. Was like, oh,
0: that's why it's called Tears of the Kingdom. Okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Fine, then I'll ask you guys one more question. Oh, <laughs> they didn't answer. I, I they, now that we've had time to digest Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom for just under two months, where does this rank among your favorite games? Favorite Zelda games or favorite games? Either or, whichever, wherever, like it would make the most sense relative to the list that you're going to present. <laughs> uh,
1: I don't know if it's fundamentally like shakes up my personal favorite games of all time, um, but I do think it is objectively like on uh, that that when you strip away that whole kind of like rose tinted glasses thing of the way we all have games that we look back on very fondly um it is objectively uh a uh, easily among the best zelda games if not the best zelda game uh it 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 does so many of of uh, the things that have worked about prior entries but introduces uh, new ideas and and handles them in such way in such a way that they um, are just so sort, of, sort of seamless. The the storytelling, as we've talked about pretty extensively, is is much stronger here, I think, than it's really ever been before. Um, in terms of establishing the sort of like mythic legendary quality um, that that you really feel like you're playing through and and coming to understand a legend of Zelda um and the creativity and the way that it has reach to people who like you know not even are playing the game but are still like wow this is so cool right look at the way they they built this super cool thing um it's it's really strong um and it's it's the kind of game that you know uh if you're a uh, i mean we've had a, a uh, not for nothing 2023 has had some very very strong games for being halfway through the year um, but I think if you're a game that's coming out in the second half of the year and hope, you know, crossing your fingers to get on a lot of like game of the year lists, it's, you got a hard, uh, hard path ahead. Uh, I mean, Zelda, even if it wasn't one of the, if it didn't totally hit for you personally, you almost kind of have to acknowledge that it, it really took over the conversation and, and people talking about games, uh, during the time that it was, uh, it's been floating around out there, and I think it'll continue to do so
0: for a long while. Kyle, real quick, where does it rank on your Zelda list and all-time list? Hmm.
2: I, uh, I still don't know if I'm ready to answer that question, but it does not unseat Breath of the Wild for me, personally. Personally. But Ocarina
0: of Time is your favorite, right?
2: Yeah, that's just that's just locked in forever. That's always going to be my favorite. That's (laughs) that's the game. That's the reason I write about video games for a living. Like that just can't. The impact of Ocarina of Time the first time I played it is it just will never be, uh, over. will never be taken over by another game. And and I've I've come to terms with that, and I understand that. But uh, no, I, uh, like, just right below Breath of the Wild for me is Tears of the Kingdom because it it feels like um nothing will sort of uh overcome what was the first time I played Breath of the Wild and like the thing that I love about these games is the exploration aspect and Tears of the Kingdom just by the nature of taking place in the same world sort of turns the volume down on the exploration aspect of it because I know the world pretty well and there's a lot of positives to that and I think it's a cool thing but um I still the, the first time I played Breath of the Wild versus the first time I played Tears of the Kingdom like Breath of the Wild is still sort of the winner for me personally.
0: Sure and Charles?
2: yeah i mean i
3: i think i like this game more than breath of the wild but it's such a hard thing where i wouldn't like this game as much as much as i do if i hadn't also played breath of the wild like it's so much of so much of my enjoyment of it is the way that it is such a good sequel in all the most important ways um but i lost my train of thought um
0: Basically, just uh, you're saying that Breath of the Wild increased your enjoyment of Tears of the Kingdom.
3: Yeah, I, I, I think, I think here's what I was gonna say. It's uh, I, I mentioned like a shift in my personal like game playing recently of like being professional and thinking critically about most of the things I do. It's not very often I can like sit down and play a game and that doesn't occur to me. Like I'm not thinking like, oof, that's points off this, or oh, I think this could be you know implemented better. This is like one of few games where I'm really sitting down and I'm like I love playing video games. I want to play video games all the time. This is the best thing in the whole world. Um and I think it is like rare and special for that to happen and this is one that like definitively does that.
0: Yeah, and for me, you know Breath of the Wild is still my favorite Zelda game, favorite game overall. But I almost think that it's just because of like the foundational aspect of it, but like I think Tears of the Kingdom might actually be like in a vacuum a better game, but Breath of the Wild just wowed me in such a way when it came out that it it's going to be hard to top. But I said that about Ocarina of Time 20 years prior and <laughs> Breath of the Wild eventually unseated it. Uh, But I think that's our rundown of kind of our spoiler-filled takes on The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. For those of you watching this on the Game Informer YouTube channel, you can actually get a weekly audio version of this show, which is called All Things Nintendo, either right here on YouTube, or you can go to your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple, we're on Google, we're on Spotify, you name it, pretty much everywhere else. But thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, throw All Things Nintendo a five-star review. And hit that subscribe button. And if you want to get any questions or comments in, you can hit me up at, allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com or DM me on Instagram, at Brian P. Shea. You can also join the Game Informer Community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel, even just for one month. Let's run down real quick. Matt, where can people find you online? Uh- I don't do a lot of uh, uh, social media stuff,
1: but you can uh, always check at Matthew R. Miller on Twitter. Um, And otherwise, most of the things I have to share with the world, I do so through Game Informer channels.
0: Kyle, what about you? Uh, Twitter. I've been using Blue Sky a lot, so hit me up there. Yeah, Blue Sky is a fun one. I've recently started getting more active over there as well. And Charles, tell everyone where they can find you. ChuckDuck365 on Twitter. I did just make a Blue Sky, but I haven't really used it yet. But, yep. That is our show for this week. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in. Take care. We'll see you next time.